Well, it is good to see everybody, and uh, welcome here if you're a guest or if you are a regular. Um, it's just good to see all the faces, and this Sunday is a little bit different. It's a Sunday where we are taking a, uh, we're at the end of a series, and we are just taking a Sunday to think about our vision. So for those of you who are here from day one, which is almost a year ago now, or if this is your first week here, it's uh, a reminder for all of us about the vision of Citizens Church and why we even exist and, and what is it that we're, we're trying to do here. What are we asking God to do in our midst? Um, in some ways, the, the beginnings of Citizens Church actually uh, comes out of Africa a little bit, okay? And that's because Liz and I were a part of the launch team, but we also had this amazing experience of being a part of a team that planted a church in Africa. And the experience that we had in Africa of believers coming together as um, individuals, as families, as children, um, centered around um, fellowship and uh, food also at the same time, was just this vision that was like planted in our hearts. And um, we just loved it and grew to just enjoy that type of Christian experience. And so when this whole church plant idea came up, um, that came to our minds. And as the, that first team that we had, there was what, like seven of us or something that were sitting around the living room. Liz and I were kind of just wondering in our heads, like, were there other people who had similar um, desires and longings and ideas? And would God even do something like that in our midst here? So it wouldn't end up being exactly the same as what we expected in Africa, but maybe elements of it would come to, to bear fruit right here in our midst. And so in many ways, a lot of the things that we enjoyed and loved there are actually seen in the life of Citizens Church or are a part of the dream still, okay? The dream that will one day come to a full reality. Uh, there will be a day where we'll come to the end of this pandemic. It won't be the same, but there is going to be a day where we're going to be able to do some of the things that God has laid on our heart. But before we get into some of those details, like taking one step back, it's good to remind ourselves of what actually our purpose is as people even. All the way back, right? Starting at who has God made us to be? And God has made us to be worshipers. He has designed us as human beings to have connection with each other and enjoy that bond, but also to have this connection and love for God. Augustine puts it this way in his book, Confessions. He says, you stir man to take pleasure in praising you because you have made us for yourself and our heart is restless until it rests in you. He wrote that like 1,600 years ago, saying we were made by God to connect and to know him, to be in relationship with him. And when we enjoy his gifts, like yesterday when hopefully you got to be outside and enjoy the beautiful nature, or maybe you got to uh, enjoy some food, or like you enjoy the gifts that God gives to us, that's, that's a partial experience of knowing God. But what it is actually is, it's a step into, it's a grace from God, because our deepest longings... Our deepest connection is found when we know him and we're in relationship with him. So he gives us these gifts 
so that we can be like inclined to lean in. And ultimately, the step in is to know him and to be in relationship with him and to love him. And the way that we do that, the way that the word of God says that we do that is actually by by believing, obviously, in God, but also, as the, the gospel writers put it, by following Jesus, okay, by being a follower, being a disciple. Each of the gospels has multiple verses that say this. I just put four up here for us to look at, one from each of the gospels, okay, just to kind of show the spread is there, that the calling that Jesus had wasn't just to acknowledge that God existed, wasn't just to kind of um, you know, do some things that he wanted them to do. It was to follow him. He says over and over again, follow me, follow me, follow me. That's the calling that he has. If you want to enter into full relationship with God, you want to enter into the fullness of what God has for you as, as a human being on this planet, then your calling is to follow Jesus, to follow him, and to be a disciple of him. And so a disciple you know, in the first century is, uh, you know, wasn't a new idea. It wasn't an idea that Jesus came up with. There were other disciples. There were other disciplines of discipleship. But Jesus is saying, this is your calling. It's like a disciple. You're going to follow me and you're going to be like me. So a disciple would literally like follow around their teacher or their rabbi or whoever their, you know, person was that they were following and they would become like them. They would talk like them they would walk like him. If they did certain things, that's how they would do their life. They would live exactly like it so that someone could like walk up to a, a disciple or a follower and say, let me guess, your rabbi is so-and-so. They could like see it. And so that's what it means for us as, you know, believers who are called to glorify God. It's that our lives would actually be changed. Our lives would be different. That our lives would be marked you know, just like Harold was saying, that our lives would be marked by people seeing that we're actually a follower of Jesus. That the things that we do in our life, the, the actions that we do on a, on a given day, actually start looking more and more like Jesus. The Apostle Paul in Romans 12 says, there is two ways that you can be formed. You can be formed into the way of the world, or you can be formed into the way of Christ. It's like either or, right? There's no like middle ground here. And so the way of the world is, it may look on the outside as, you know, someone who's polite and kind, but it's, it's, it's not foreign to the world to kind of get all you can get out of life, you know, to, to be a, a winner at all costs, um, even in Canada where we like to, you know, top 10 is good, but being a winner at all costs, um, getting, you know, you are in control of your life, kind of you are harnessing the, the power of the world around you. That's kind of the view of the world, and the world is trying to shape us into that. But the way of Christ is one of self-giving, self-sacrifice, one that actually releases power. Listen to Psalm 112, verse 7. It says this, For the righteous will never be moved, he will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. And so the calling for a follower of Christ is to go the way of Jesus. And when I even say those words and when I even read that scripture, I'm like, ooh, I don't know if that's me. 
And on, and on many days, I think a lot of people would look at, you know, this little list and they would say, that way of the world, actually, that sounds like a lot of Christians that I know. It doesn't sound like a lot of non-Christians. It was like a reversal sometimes that happens. And that's the whole point. That's the whole point of discipleship. It's that we are not fully what God wants us to be. And so there is this journey, there is this walk of becoming like Christ. So if you have a Bible, please turn to Mark chapter 8, those verses that we just heard read. Because in, in the Gospels, Jesus lays out for us what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. What is it that he's calling us to? If we're to follow him, if we're to become like him, what is the call? And there's a lot of different scriptures that we could go to. But in Mark 8, it kind of summarizes it just in a few verses. So in Mark 8, verse 30, starting in verse 34, it says this, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples. So, so Jesus had, obviously, the 12 disciples are there. But then there's often, like, this group of 70 that are also following him. And sometimes there was a group of, like, hundreds or thousands of people that were following him around. And so in this instance, the disciples are there. And he says to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? The first thing you see there in verse 34 is that this is for anyone. He says, if anyone's going to follow me, doesn't matter what your background is, doesn't matter what your experience is, doesn't matter if you're good at certain things or not good at certain things, Jesus says, anyone, whoever wants to come after me, whoever wants to follow me and be a disciple, the door is open for you to come. But he also says that you should count the cost of what that's going to be. So he says, this is available for anybody, but if you want to come, this is what it's going to look like. It's going to be self-denial, let him deny himself, and it's going to be a taking up of your cross. So this is what following Christ is going to look like. Self-denial, a road of difficulty, a road of hardship. Maybe, um, you know, Scripture describes it in other ways of the, the road less traveled. Okay, so the big highway is here. Following Christ is going to be a road less traveled. But finally, what is it? Well, we come back to that again at the end of verse 34. It's following Jesus. He says, follow me. That's how you're going to do it. It's open to anybody. There's going to be a cost to it. But in the end, what I'm asking you to do is follow me. Follow Jesus. And that process of being a disciple so that we can glorify God through our lives and in the lives of those who we interact with, it's summarized here in Mark 8. And then if you turn a few pages over to the end of Matthew, or scroll over in your phone to Matthew 28, then the, the calling is laid out there again for this global mission of these believers making disciples. Verse 16 of chapter 28 says this, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. 
but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority on earth, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So this is what believers and churches have been doing since Christ sent them out. Making disciples, baptizing people, and teaching people what it means to follow Jesus. This is the same thing that we're doing here at Citizens. I mean, if you're a Christian, all these things should sound really familiar to you, okay? Because this is the same kind of mission that every church and every believer has had since Christ left. So there's not like a lot of new variety to it, okay? The message is still the same, that our calling is to follow Jesus, to be a disciple, to look like Jesus in our life, and then to go out and make disciples. And that, just that process of going out, making disciples, grows little local gatherings, which we call churches, and that process grows and grows and grows and keeps going. So the question is, how do we do it as Citizens Church? Because there's a bunch of churches in town here, and everybody has kind of their own little way of doing this Matthew 28 calling. And all of them have um, successful elements to them, and probably all of them have shortcomings, just like we do as well. And, um, you know, we have lived in an age where we've seen, if you've kind of tracked with church life over the last few years, there's just all kinds of different iterations of what the local church looks like. You know, there's like um, the, the mega church model. I don't know if you've gone to some of these mega churches. Um, maybe we came from one. Woodside is almost considered a mega church in Canada, okay? But it's not really a mega church. You go around like to, in the U.S., you know, 10, 20,000 people. I think there's a church in South Korea, that's like 100,000 people, okay? So those are like mega churches, okay? We, we're not there at all. But that's one way that people have done church. Um, a number of years ago, like 10, 15 years ago, this uh, movement, like the emergent church was kind of new and exciting. It was like contemplative, monastic almost, and how they, they did their church, really liturgical. Um, w- would have loved a building like this, right? Um, and doing church in that way. And there is, you know, liberal churches and there are conservative churches. There's all kinds of different ways that the body of Christ is manifested. And so what is, what is our place as just this little gathering of believers? What is citizens' role and how are we going to do that? And there's a number of different ways that we have kind of tried to articulate that and communicate that. Um, but one of the things that we want to do is keep disciple-making at the center of what we're doing. We want to, um, you know, with all the different things that we could be involved in, all the different things that we could do as a local church, we want to keep making disciples as the thing that we are pursuing, that we are hunting down. So we're going to, like, say no to a lot of other things so that we can just drive into making disciples. And the way that we do that is actually within the context of family. Okay, and we'll talk in a minute about missional families. But this idea that we gathered here together are uh, the family of God. Okay, and, and I don't know about you, but family brings in variety. Okay, I come from a family where I have um, three 
siblings that were like biological siblings, and then I have three step-siblings, okay? We're seven kids, never lived together at once, but we're seven kids, okay? And every single one of them, whether it's the biological family or the step-family, we are like all completely different. I can remember my mom saying at one point, she's like, I raised all four of you kids. I basically had like the same game plan for every one of you, and everyone is completely different. She's like, I don't know what happened, you know? It's just everybody is different. And that's the case with the body of Christ. When we call ourselves a family, that means there's a lot of variety in here. And you think even of the disciples, you think of the variety within the disciples, the people that Jesus chose, right? The, the 12 disciples that were following him. I think of, has anybody seen the, any of the TV show, The Chosen? It's on YouTube. It's, it's a TV show. I just watched the first episode. But it really showed well the uh, diversity of the disciples. You got like Peter and Andrew who are these guys, they're hanging out in the bar, they're fishermen, they're blue collar, they're rough. You know, you think of Peter's life and he's swearing, he's grabbing a knife, he's getting into fights with people, right? That's Peter and Andrew. Then you've got Matthew, this kind of white collar, tax collector, probably wealthy, you know. And here Christ brings these guys together. And that's what, that's what the local church is, that we're like a family together, but you should come in with the assumption that it's probably going to be difficult. It's probably going to be like if you have a sibling, like it's going to be like your annoying sibling, okay, like the, the sister or the brother that you fight with. That's probably going to be the case in the, the local church. But for that very reason, God has actually given us this image of family, being committed to one another and being committed to making disciples in the context of family where the, the diversity and the difference actually makes the body of Christ better. Where everybody, no matter wh- whether you are single, whether you are young, whether you are married, whether you have children or don't, your empty nest, whatever you are, there's room for you at the dinner table or there's room for you on the Zoom call, Okay. You are welcome at the table because you're part of the family of God. And so we say we are committed to each other as family. We're also committed to simple practices. And most importantly, we're committed to gospel living. Okay? We're committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ being central to our understanding of each other and of our walk with God. And so the gospel is just that we, re- we realize that we're sinners and that God has saved us, not because of anything that we've done, but only because of his grace and his goodness toward us. And so, I mean, it's, it feels honestly like a month ago, but we just celebrated Easter, right? This, this amazing Sunday where Christ was raised from the dead and he died on the cross so that we could know him and be in relationship with him and so that we could live in the power of that reality today. Not just someday go into being with Christ in heaven, but even now. So we want, like Alan Hirsch says here, you can do more with 12 disciples than with 12,000 religious consumers. And that's really what we want to um, build here, this culture of being disciples and making disciples. Not just coming to be a part of something. We're, not, we're really not that interested 
in trying to build like the biggest, the greatest thing here in Elmira. Okay, we're just not, that's not like on our top list. What we want to do is make disciples. And so by God's grace alone, is that going to happen, right? It's not going to be because we're so amazing or because we have the greatest strategy. It's going to be because God is gracious to us. And so the calling that we have is to make disciples. So how do we do it? Look at this uh, little circle here, okay? You'll recognize some of these things, okay? The first thing we do is the gathering, which is what we're doing right now, okay? We come together and we gather together to worship Jesus. It's a time once a week where we come together, and we probably need it now more than ever, where we come close together with other believers and we worship God and we pray and we hear from God's word and we just we beg and we plead that the Lord will come down and will touch us at a soul level so that we leave here with clarified vision again for for purpose in our life and for an understanding a deeper identity of uh, of our identity with Christ and so that we leave here encouraged and um, with our eyes looking upward to God. That's what we do in the gathering. The second thing we do is we practice missional families. Okay, these are small groupings of people where we are building relationships and we're, we're kind of, we're practicing that family value, right? That one family value of believers coming together, building relationships, getting to know each other, but also at the same time, helping each other to look out, whether that means serving in our direct neighborhoods or in our town, or going out into our workplaces and being a witness, knowing that our missional family is praying for us, is knowing what we're doing. So we don't have this experience of me, Darcy, like lone Christian, going out by myself to do the Christian thing. But rather, in our minds, what's, what's actually the reality of what's happening is when I go out, it might be physically me alone, but I know my missional family is with me. They're praying for me. They're joining me on this journey as we come together and we celebrate and we talk about the wins and the, and the losses of the week. Okay? So the missional family is this shared experience of life together, a place where we are reaching out. And then the third area that we haven't actually talked a lot about, but we're going to talk about it this morning, is this idea of sacred communities, a place where deeper discipleship can happen, where things that maybe wouldn't come out in uh, the regular missional families or on the, the gathering Sundays, those things can come out in sacred communities, all right? And the vision behind sacred communities is, is that Sacred communities, missional families, the gathering, that all of these would be built on you growing as an individual in your walk with Christ. Okay, so there's no circle for that. That's kind of like the whole slide, all right? This, uh, this understanding that you as a believer, you are growing in your faith and you're following Jesus. And sacred communities, missional families, and the gatherings are actually pouring into your own personal journey and your walk with Christ. So sacred communities are definitely for us who are, I'll call us professional Christians, okay? Those of us who grew up in the church, who are familiar with how church is run, who maybe have even played the game 
that I know I've played at different times in my life where on Sunday in the gathering or maybe even in missional family, people can recognize and see, yep, he's a Christian. But then when I'm out working, maybe when I'm out socially, or maybe when I'm out on my social media platform world, that, when I look at, when people would look at that life, they wouldn't recognize that that person is actually a follower of Jesus. There's like two sides to my life. And I can say I have, I have lived that kind of life before. There was definitely a time in, in high school where I was like trying to play that game, right? Where being a Christian, going on missions trips, and going to church on Sunday, youth group, and then during the week just trying to get as close to whatever as I could, right? Playing both sides. And so for that kind of a person, which honestly, probably all of us, that's exactly what sacred communities is for to get down, right, to get deeper into what's actually happening at a heart level. Our other prayer is that sacred communities is a place where new believers can grow in their faith. Like the, the dream, the, the prayer that we are praying, the thing that we long for God to do in our midst is to see new people sitting in this seat who have never sat in churches before, who haven't followed Jesus before, who need someone to come alongside them so that they can understand what does it actually mean to follow Jesus, like to truly follow Jesus. And so it's sacred communities. There's like three stages of openness, which you've probably experienced um, in your life as you connect with people. One is guarded communication, which maybe that happens here on Sundays, right? You're just like chit-chat, kind of regular chit-chat. The next would be like everyday authenticity, which we hope happens at missional families where you're actually, you're talking about your week and you're talking about things that really matter and you can be yourself within that context of missional families. But then the third level is actually deep disclosure. Like really talking about the things that are going on. And usually most of us we don't get there because what we're afraid of is if we actually say those things, people won't actually love us. People won't actually accept us anymore. So those things stay down. They stay inside. But if we truly believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that Jesus is raised from the dead, then being a disciple means a total openness to what God wants to do in our lives the superficial things, and all the way down to the deep levels. And so Dan White says this. He says, when we, do, when we do not have a discipleship culture that offers both safety and stretching, we can slip into stubbornness. Stubbornness is resistance to others knowing us and telling us what to do. That, we can easily slide into that where... If there's no culture of discipleship, if there's no culture of really expressing what is God doing inside of me, then we just become stubborn and we don't really want to listen to other people. But let's not be naive that getting to this kind of level of discipleship takes time, takes care, takes commitment. I read this quote this week which I just found really interesting, and we're not a, an abbey or a convent, okay? That's not what I'm saying we are. But listen to this quote here uh, from the Our Lady of Mississippi Abbey, okay? It says this, 
we vow to remain all of our life with our local community. We live together, pray together, work together, relax together. We give up the temptation to move from place to place in search of an ideal situation. Ultimately, there is no escape from oneself, and the idea that things would be better someplace else is usually an illusion. And when the interpersonal conflicts arise, we have a great incentive to work things out and to restore peace. This means learning the practices of love, acknowledging one's own offensive behavior, and giving up one's preferences for giving. Wow. Could you imagine if we could even just see some of those things take place in our community here? Where we don't just like run away because there's a problem. Where we don't just try to, you know, when babies are crying and it gets annoying in the service, we're just like, I'm out of here, you know. I'm going to go somewhere else. There's actually a deeper commitment to each other and to discipleship. And so this is what we're asking God to do actually in our midst here with sacred communities. Would God be gracious enough to allow us to go into some of the deeper, harder places so that he could form us and make us more into the image of Christ? That our lives would be different here, but also then our lives would be different in the neighborhoods where we live and in the places where we work, where God sends us out to every single week. So what does sacred communities consist of? There's three practices. That's, that's all we want to focus on in, in sacred communities. Three things that we want to do. The first is stories. Okay, we want to come to sacred communities and just so you know, sacred communities is like a gathering of like two to four people, okay? Two to four guys together or two to four girls together. And it's a commitment that we're making for a season of life to come together to go deeper with Christ. And so it starts by telling stories, okay? Not just like general stories, like, hey, I saw this great movie the other day. But stories as in, what is God doing in our lives? What is God actually doing within the week? Or maybe what is God... What has happened in our life in the past even that is making me into who I am today? So the product, the person that you're seeing here is a result of these things that have happened. It might be best described as like a four-step process. So you've got this idea of creation, our stories of origin, uh, our fall, which is stories of our brokenness. And James talks about you know, the confession of our sin to each other. And you've got the third one, the story of redemption. So stories of God's rescue or God's victory in our life. And then finally, the story of restoration, stories of change, where God actually has done something, where there's been movement in a person's life. So this is what we mean when we're talking about stories. The second one is listening. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, it says this, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what you say, the stories you tell, the words that you use, whether they are joy-filled words, or maybe they're words of anger, or maybe they're words of disdain, whatever it is that comes out, those words are actually coming from your heart, the Bible says. And what's happening at a heart level is being shown 
through the words that you speak. So we as the receiver might be like, ooh, that sounded a little harsh, sounded a little angry. That's just like, that's the surface judgment of what's happening. In sacred communities, we want to actually dig into like, what is actually behind that? And so we want to spend a lot of time listening to each other, asking good questions. And you know who was good at asking good questions? Jesus. Jesus was good at not just taking an answer at face value, but he was actually good at taking that answer and digging in to see like what's actually behind that. What is happening at a heart level? Proverbs chapter 20 verse 5 says this, The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. So, what's going on in your heart is like, have you ever looked into like a well? You ever done that before? In Guinea, we used to have these wells, hand-dug wells, 25 meters deep. Imagine that going down, someone digging it up. You look down, and it's like this tiny little hole down there, and that's where the water is down there. And that's what it's saying in Proverbs. The, the things that are going on in your heart are like way down there at the bottom. But a person of understanding, a, a righteous person, is going to actually take the work to dig down, to go down deep to see what's happening down there. And that takes listening and asking good questions. So we tell stories, and we listen well, and then finally... We speak the truth. Ephesians 4.15 says, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way to him who is the head into Christ. So part of what needs to happen when we come together and we tell these stories, I don't know if you've ever been a part of uh, a group or I, I remember when I was at Woodside and I used to get people into small groups, one of the big things that, that people were hesitant to enter a small group was they just didn't want to go somewhere and just like, yak with people, you know, just like talk, endless just conversation. They were like, what is the point of that? Because some people's experience was really negative around that. And so they wanted to know, like, what does actually the Word of God have to say about this topic or that topic? And this is actually where we want to get to, where we can speak the truth to each other, point each other to our identity in Christ, point each other back onto the right road. There's an amazing story in Acts chapter 18 where um, Priscilla and Aquila, they heard Apollos teaching. So Apollos is this teacher, he's out teaching, and Priscilla and Aquila, they hear him, and they're like, he's missing part of the story. He's only teaching up to like the kingdom of God, and now God has done even more. God is using his church to do things, and so what they do is they take Apollos on the side, and they teach him the full reality of the truth. So this wasn't even like a sin issue. This wasn't even like a, a bad thing happening in his life. It was just like he needed to know a little bit more, but they were willing to actually come alongside him, to teach him, to help him, to bring him better along. That's not easy, is it? It's not easy for any of us to be like corrected, to be brought on the right path, to have something maybe that isn't clear to us, be made clear to us, but in the context of making disciples, in the context of one family, man, we should welcome that. And we, we need to create a culture that is that. So, Sacred Communities is uh, a small grouping of people, two to four people, that are going to commit 
for maybe like, you know, six months to go deeper with each other, most likely coming out of the context of missional families, okay, so there's that basic relationship growing out of that already, and ultimately growing deeper in their relationship with Christ. And maybe you're asking, why are we talking about this now when we're in like a shutdown, okay, <laughs> because, you know, we're not even supposed to be meeting with each other, okay, um, that's a good point, okay, but we truly believe, okay, and I said this in the beginning, I truly believe as well that um, there's coming a day, sooner hopefully rather than later, where we'll actually be able to fully live out some of these things. The gathering, singing songs without masks on, missional families seated around the table with food together, and sacred communities where brothers and sisters coming together and getting to the heart of the matter where Christ has to speak directly to those things. This is, this is the vision of Citizens Church. And we want to see this happen in the life of everybody who is a part of it. And we pray that the, the growth that we experience is through disciples, making disciples, and making disciples. So to close, let me just... Um, Read some verses here out of 2 Timothy. And if you have a Bible, let me just ask you to go there quickly, okay? 2 Timothy is most likely the Apostle Paul's last book that he ever wrote. And he's near the end of his life. And he's had so many experiences. And when you get to chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, starting in verse 9, right to the end of the, of the book, it's all this list of people. It's a list of names. And if you look at it, we won't read it all, but it's a list of people that have been so good to Paul that he's just been so happy to partner with. It's people that have hurt Paul deeply. People that have deserted Paul along the way. It's, it's people that Paul is asking favors of and asking help of. And the reason why I feel like it's such a, a great bit of scripture for us to look at is because it shows the reality of discipleship. That there are good times, that there are hard times, that there are people that are really good at making disciples, and there are some people that are really terrible at it, and that all along the way, God is doing his work. For Paul, God is like helping to write scripture and to see churches planted. God is not thrown off by all the difficulty and by the joy. He's able to work through all of it. Let me just read the last verses, his final greetings. Paul says, Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Our, callings, our calling church, singular calling, is to make disciples. And at the end of the day, the only thing that Paul was left with was people and lives who were changed. And at the end of the day for Citizens Church, that is the only legacy we want to leave. People and lives who are changed by the gospel, who are changed by Jesus.
So let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you that you allow us to enter into this amazing work of making disciples. And Lord, we, we readily admit that we are inadequate and we are weak for this task. And yet we thank you for your grace and for the power of the resurrection, that the resurrected Jesus lives through us. And so we just pray, Lord, that you would have your way in this church and that all the plans, even as we lay them out, Lord, are open-handed and that we continue to just lay them at your feet so that you can do what you want to do through our midst. And uh, Lord, may we reflect back in coming months and years on your goodness and your grace towards uh, Citizens Church. And we just desperately pray, Lord, that you would change our own hearts and that you would draw new people into this church so that their hearts can be changed and the town of Elmira and Drayton and wherever else, Lord, that we have people in would be also impacted by men and women who love Jesus. Pray this in your name. Amen.